This is one-on-one with Stevie Fro, episode 15, Tyler Hopperton. Welcome back to the one-on-one with Stevie Fro podcast, sitting here with coach Tyler Hopperton, the head football coach at Mount St. Joseph. Coach, thank you for joining us today. Thanks for having me. Are you excited? Oh, yeah. You should, be, ex- you should be excited. <laughs> well, it's football weather outside. Oh, yeah. It's kind of warm and muggy. <laughs> it's like double sessions, right? Once it's miserable, you know, it's football season. So coach Hopperton, a Simon Kenton pioneer. Oh, yeah. A Mount St. Joe Lion football player. And then got into coaching. Was it a grad assistant? Immediately. Yeah. Um, Essentially, no grad school involved, but uh, basically a part-time seasonal coach. That was my internship, studied sport management at the Mount. So my senior co-op was basically an assistant coach. We had a lot of coaching turnover that year. So even as a current student took on a lot of stuff in that semester why we were finding new full-time coaches and things. So um, was able to get, get on and was linebacker coach and a little bit of everything in between. And that was were you a three ago. year, <laughs> three years assistant? Um, five, five years an assistant. Okay. Yeah. So was I like was trying linebacker to do the coach math. a couple years yeah. and then just kind of gradually kept, um, you know, getting more responsibilities each year and, Kind of just grew into it. And then you got the big job <laughs> at 27. Yeah, it was uh, it was interesting. Like I said, I mean, I, I went from making nearly nothing by the time you factor gas and whatever else into it uh, the first couple years. Um, we had a pretty good season in 2014. We were eight and two, um, had a pretty good year. And um, I was offered the defensive coordinator job at Kentucky Christian University, took it. Um, about three days after I left, our assistant head coach left for a D2 job up in Michigan. So our head coach called me and said, Hey, Greg left. You want his job? I'm like, sure. And so I was back. I don't know if I was ever even off payroll. It was fate. (laughs) And then was assistant head coach for two years. And, um, when coach, uh, Huber retired, you know, was named interim and it was an interesting time, but stressful. Um, yeah. Anxiety. Mostly, mostly good stress. Oh, really? Uh, <laughs> well, you know, in the off season, you're not winning or losing games. That's yet. true. So, uh, at the time of the change, it was good stress. Um, and then, and just trying to recruit that number and all that kind of stuff. So, um, yeah. And then going into that, that season, then <laughs> some of the good stress maybe wasn't as good, but, um, it's a different animal <laughs> in it. It definitely is. How many, okay. We talked about this earlier. How many kids are on your team? Uh, this year we're expecting a roster of about 130. 130. So 27 years old, managing a roster of 130 players on top of 15 coaches and then support staff. Yep. Not daunting at all. (laughs) Um, It it was in in ways that I wasn't expecting. Um, Luckily, the way that I was um, as an assistant coach, I was involved in everything, which is a big reason why they trusted me to be the interim coach because anytime anyone needed something done at the Mount, with Mount football, they called me and I got it done. And so that transition, um, dealing with all those people, they're already used to dealing with me. Um, but it was just kind of a different relationship where 
expectations are different and things like that. So um, it definitely was a transition, but I definitely benefited that. Um, what I feel like is a big reason why I was considered for the head coaching job is just because of my connection with all those people. <laughs> well, I would say your personality as well. Yeah, right. Yeah. And I um, think half of selling it that you want a job is selling your personality when you're interviewing for a job. Right. You've got a pretty good personality. You could just, I could see where people were drawn to you just for the 10, 15 minutes that we've been talking before we went on air. So uh, I'm a big fan of that. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I definitely think that's, um, and especially now having a couple of years under my belt as head coach, I look for the same thing in, in my coaches and who I want to bring in the program and even players for that matter, even recruits, um, especially, you know, obviously you look for talent and um, academic success, but you're also looking for that personality, right? You're looking for leadership and you're looking for um, some charisma and some stuff because, because of times like we're expecting now or that we're experiencing now, you know, that you need kids that have that and the same with coaches. And um, so because of that, you know, as an athletic director, I'm sure it's very important that you got to understand that personality. I understand that that's the personality that now 160 people are going to uh, be following. Well, you so. also want to recruit a kid that's going to fit in the locker room. Right. You know, it's, it's going to be fine on campus. Not going to worry about. I think that's the stressful thing about what you guys do mm-hmm. at any level. Yeah. You, you could have, a, you could have a, a young man or young woman that could be an otherworldly athlete, but they're such an asshole about, <laughs> you know, to people. Right. Um, <laughs> you know, I mean, you, you read these stories where coaches watch a kid be disrespectful to a parent and they stop recruiting them immediately. Right. And I like that. Yeah. Cause it's not hard to just do the right thing and be a good person. Yeah, for sure. But that's the fun part um, to me. Uh, recruiting was a big reason why I wanted to get into football to begin with. Um, you know, I was always, my brother always made fun of me when we were kids. I was the type that would skip the football game parts on video games just to get to the recruiting part. You know what I mean? That's always the stuff that just kind of drove me and interested me. And what I always knew I wanted to be a coach. And then as I got into college, I was like, I want to be a college coach. I want to recruit and meet people and convince people um, to buy into what we're doing and all that. So that's definitely the fun part. So, I mean, you mentioned it's stressful and it is, but that's, I mean, that challenge, that daily challenge of finding and building your culture is is the fun. So let's go back to the beginning. <laughs> Tell us your story a little bit. Uh, Simon Kenton kid. Yeah. Where did you go to, where'd you go? Uh, grade school or uh, Kenton elementary twin Hoffel, Simon Kenton. Gotcha. Um, grew up in Walton. Okay. Um, grew up on a, a cattle farm and um, the, um, what was I saying? Oh, the cattle. Yeah. So grew up on <laughs> Sorry, a we had, we had some background noise and <laughs> we're good. trying to decipher that. <laughs> <laughs> so grew up on a cattle farm yeah. and, um, in Southern Kenton County, um, you know, we moved there to our family farm when my brother was about to enter high school and we were already in the Kenton County system. So we kind of stayed that way. Grew up just a couple miles from Ryle, but, um, stayed in Kenton County. So went to Twin Hoffle and Simon Kenton. Um, only played football. Let's see, second grade, because um, my brother was playing, so it was easy to just send me along to practice as well. Um, didn't play again till sixth grade, and then played in eighth grade, and then through college. Um, so it's not necessarily something, you know. I had hoop dreams as a kid, um, so I, I played basketball from about the time I could walk through high school. That I was in AU and um, played a little bit at, at Simon Kenton, and 
Um, so, you know, but that love changed once I kind of got into high school. So um, eighth grade was a lot of fun, football. And in that kind of freshman year, I played both at Simon Kenton, and it kind of transitioned to, man, I really love this football thing and want to give it a shot. Well, especially as kids get older, their skill set becomes a little bit more clear to them. <laughs> so they're not doing something just for the love of it or to yes. play with their friends. The writing is on the wall, as, as people say. And it, I don't think, I mean, that's a pretty normal story there. Yeah. You know, the kid who loves basketball, but yeah, at some being, point being growing. Being 5'10", and, yeah. 220 yeah. pounds was easier as a football player than it was a basketball player with a limited skill set. Do you still follow basketball? <laughs> yeah. Do you still love it? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I follow it. I mean, being a college coach, it's kind of hard to follow a lot of things. Being just, a high school coach, <laughs> it's kind of hard to people follow be like, things. Hey, did yeah. you see that? Like, yeah, no, no, I did, did not. not. I did yeah, not I either. either. Busy or asleep yeah. planning for the next busy day. So, uh, but yeah, I mean, I, I like basketball a lot and um, always did. And um, But yeah, it definitely transitioned to kind of going into high school and, um, but yeah. You mentioned your brother before. Mm-hmm. You have an older brother. You guys close? Yeah, very close. And I'd imagine kind of a lot, like a lot of other people, I should say, um, when you got the older brother and you're tailing along and <laughs> you fall in love with the things that he falls in love with. For sure. Yeah, so he was he was big in the basketball. He didn't really play football um, very much. He tried a couple years. You know, our, um, our grandpa loved football and wanted us to play, so we went out a couple years and, um, you know, I was the only one that ended up falling in love with it too. Um, so we definitely love basketball, but that was, that was big for my competitive nature as a kid too, is, I mean, being a little brother is almost a complex, you know, um, and not that he was ever, you know, abusive or anything to me, but I think it's just that normal brother relationship. Yeah. And it's like, Hey, he's out there with his older friends and all that. And that's who I wanted to keep yeah, you up wanted with to tag along. Wanted to be a part. And, um, we had a bunch of basketball brawls in the, at the Hopperton farm and on the eight foot rim and everything else. So, um, but yeah, you had to keep up if you wanted to play, you know, I mean, if, if you want to be picked, if, if the teams aren't even and you want to be picked, you got to be able to bring something to the table. And so that's kind of where it all, that competitive drive kind of all started. I think most of the younger brothers that I've coached, especially here who grow up with brothers that were two, three, four years older than them, they're usually the better player because they were so used to getting their butt kicked and, right. <laughs> you know, pushed out of the way They're They just have a little bit, they've got a more, a little bit more fire, right. I should say. And I think that's a benefit. You know, and, oh, for sure. and that may not have helped your basketball career, <laughs> but I would say it helped your football career because oh, it yeah. made you a little tougher. And even just professionally, you know, having that competitive um, nature, you know, and just constantly, because even when it was just him and me in the yard, I mean, you're still competing, you know, and it's like he has the edge and um, we always kind of laugh. You know, we really only got in one um, one fight and it was kind of when I was a little older and, you know, it was probably the only fight I ever won between us and we never fought again after that. Yeah. <laughs> he pretty much quit after that. You come for the king, you best not miss, right? <laughs> exactly. You get your shot and you won. Yeah, so you, you took the belt and you walked <laughs> off. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> All right. Simon Kenton days. Yep. Playing for the great Jeff Marksberry. Oh, yeah. 
And you played defense. I did. So you played they for... They made me play offense, but I was a defensive player. So you player. played for Jesse Herbst. I did, yeah. Um, S- two very good coaches to, I don't want to say model, but to learn oh, from. Oh, for sure. And really that whole staff, and, and that's been big in my coaching career too because most of those guys are the same as when I was there. So, I mean, up until Jesse left last year, it was essentially the same. I could walk in there to recruit or to hang out, and it's like 2005 all over again. Um, but a lot of ways it's good because I trust those guys and those guys know me. So I've been able to ask, and especially Coach Marksberry, you know, ask him some tough questions and about being a coach and a head coach and those things. So we have some great conversations. And um, even when I was a college player and being able to go back there and talk to those guys, those guys have been – great and so supportive and is a big reason why they're one of the many reasons of why they're they've had so much success um good players helps <laughs> uh, it definitely helps those yes there's a little bit more of those around than there were um when i first started to play but um you know doing things the right way and and having some consistency with sure. staff and stuff and having so many guys in the building that are caring for those guys all the time is is definitely a big um, big reason why there's yeah the nucleus of of coaches that he has both in the building and on his staff is just phenomenal and a lot of the really good programs obviously it's not a mystery a lot of the really good programs in this area the successful ones you could just look at their staff and you could see that core group of people who have remained loyal to the head coach right. the head coaches there are jobs everywhere where people are in and in and out in a year or two years I've never been that way. Uh, I, you know, I'm more of a longevity. I think longevity is better for uh, kids being familiar with a system and a coach. Right. Uh, I, I'm not a fan of bouncing around from job to job. I think that's ignorant. And I think it, you lose credibility that way. Yeah, so, I think so kids today, when they walk into a Beachwood or Simon Kenton or a Cooper, uh, Covcath, Mm, I mean, we could go on. Yeah. And, and when Bob Schneider was at Newcath, at Newcath, you knew who the boss was. Dale Mueller at Highland, same kind of deal. Right. You knew who the boss was because they've been there. So these kids that are playing there now, they've known no other head coach but Jeff Marksbury right. from the time they were in, the, in their lifetime. Yeah, at, <laughs> at South Kenton to Twin or some of you, and then into Simon Kenton. Right. It's always that group of dudes watching your games, maybe stopping out of practice, who knows, right? I don't, I don't really know. But um, yeah, yeah, I think days, there's something to say about that. Those were cool. Um, and especially now looking back, I mean, because, man, it's been 12 years since I graduated, which is crazy. Um, Was that 08? I remember, you graduated yeah. in the spring of 08? Okay. Yeah. And so I still, I mean, some of those games and – um, some of those memories just feel like it was yesterday and especially in the summer, you know, and you start seeing these guys going back to practice and stuff like that. You know, a lot of those memories are a lot more clear than I thought they'd be sure. 10, 12 years later. Um, but I think my freshman year, I believe the varsity team was one and nine, they maybe were. two and eight, something mm-hmm. like that. Not very good. And then my sophomore through senior year, we were six and four, made the playoffs yep. twice, lost in the first round both times. But compared to, you know, it, I was kind of joke with Coach Marksberry, but it's like when we graduated, my class was the winningest football class in Simon Kenton history, and that's been beat by essentially every class. So they had won six, <laughs> six and six. We and won eighteen two. games, right? Yeah, like our varsity. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and so. Um, 
yeah, well, like in said, three almost, years they won. Yeah, yeah, I know what you're saying. But yeah. they won in the four, in the four years you were there. They won, you know, twenty games. Right. And they yeah. were, you know, wow. exactly. And so, uh, but yeah, like I said, almost every class since then has beat that. But it, it was cool to be a part of that. And I think a lot of um, a lot of it helps that I've been a part of football since then too. So I've sure. seen it. I've seen them play live every year since then. So being able to see it take shape, and then also to be able to compare it to other programs, you know. Um, and just the consistency um, is just something that in, you know, 2004, it's stuff that we dreamed about, but, um, and we're working for, but I don't know if we ever thought it would actually <laughs> come to fruition. So it's just been really cool to see good people have a sure. lot of good success. And we talked to Jeff about the early years at Simon Kenton. Look, when he went there, people didn't want that job, man. Right. It's not a very good job. <laughs> and I don't blame Roy Jr. for getting out of Dodge and going to Lloyd. Right. Lloyd was very good. They had a very good program at the time. They had a better athlete, right? right? It's easier to, it's easier to win with really good players. And, uh, you know, at the time, Simon Kenton was just kind of known for the farm boys that golly knows, you know, whatever else, dipping and <laughs> lifting pickup trucks in the, in the parking lot you know, with their <laughs> straw hat. Um, well, I'm from Newport, so that's, you know, yes. that's our idea well, of anybody sadly, from the county. Most of those things I've seen, so I <laughs> okay, can't like okay, okay. completely scoff so, at you. you know, you get there and you're watching that, that first group win two games. And it's like, man, I don't know if I want to be a part of that. Right. Honestly, it's, I think that's fair. And then starting that next year, your sophomore year, it was the resurgence you know, it was it was uh, it was the birth of Simon Kenton football right. that season, 05. And when we talked to Jeff, it was that third game of the year down in Covington at home at Holmes against Holy Cross. This boy, I mean, the speed, right, and just the overall scheme, everything had changed. It seemed like right. it, it had changed overnight. And I mean, I'm sure it felt really good that year for Jeff. You know beating the holy hell out of Lloyd in that first game too. Roy, Roy left him to, you know, holding the, holding the keys. And, oh yeah. And then, uh, I remember his, uh, he used to get real bad nerves before games. He and still he, does. And he probably still does. But I remember that game specifically because that was my first varsity game. So yeah. it was week one, my sophomore year. And I was, um, I was on all special teams, but didn't get playing time anywhere else. And, uh, so I was nervous because I knew I was going to be a part of the first play, regardless of how the coin flip went. I was in, so I was nervous. And I remember being like, and kind of looking for him because I knew he was kind of behind me, like for some reassurance, I guess, like, hey, some confidence. And he's throwing up in the trash can behind yeah. me. And I'm like, great, you know. But then we went out, yeah, I think it was 40 nothing or 40. 40 nothing. Yeah. Um, which for us was, I mean, we hadn't won a game. You like know, the that thing about that 05 team, <laughs> you know, they did, you did lose five games. But three of those five games were one possession games. Right. And, and those were a lot of, those were some really good dudes. And that was, I mean. And they were all on the road. Those guys I looked, yeah. that I looked up to as a sophomore too. And a lot of it was like, you know, friends, older brothers and things like that. Um, but there was a lot of guys that really cut their teeth because their seasons were probably two and eight, one and nine. And then that yeah. season, right? So, I mean, it was really cool to see what those guys built and then what we could keep building on top of that each year. Um that year was a lot of fun. I mean, making the playoffs and having a pep rally and um, to go down and play Trinity. Trinity. <laughs> <laughs> the first play was awesome, too. I still remember it. They threw a bubble pass towards our sidelines, and we stuck it, and it was like, yes. 
it's happening. And then the very was next Jesse play, Herbst was Jesse Herbst on the field. <laughs> doing yeah, the, I remember like, him jumping probably Stone barefoot. Cold Steve Austin. <laughs> yeah. And then the very next play, they ran the same play to the same kid and he took it 85 yards or whatever. And, um, that was pretty much it. <laughs> so in those three years at Simon, looking back now, being a, in the college game, being a coach yourself, and appreciating the building that you have to do. And I, I don't think that you took over a terrible situation. I think you took over a very good situation, right? Yeah. So you can appreciate what that journey that they had to do. And then when you got there, now looking back as an alum of 12 years and a college coach, seeing the success that they've had has got to make you proud, right? Oh, Absolutely. Yeah, and, and like you said, especially knowing what it takes and then seeing other programs that um, that were good when when we weren't at Simon Kitten sure. that aren't anymore because of <laughs> coaching inconsistencies or because um, them not doing things the right way, yeah. right? And sometimes it's just the kids, I mean, especially in public schools and how things change. I mean, independence is so much different than it was when, uh, when I went to Simon Kitten. I mean, even from five years ago. It's just so much different. It is different. And how many people are, I mean, it's just, you know, we were excited to get a McDonald's, you know, and it's just a little different than that now. Um, so there's a lot, you know, a lot of people, but it's just been really cool to see that. Yeah. I mean, talking about taking over the program, um, <laughs> I was just assumed if, I, I mean, I always wanted to be a head coach and um, I mean, obviously I was at the Mount essentially my whole career. I mean, I played there, coached there, um, you know, wanted a shot whenever Hubie was going to leave. But I just always assumed if I was going to be named head coach at 27, it would have been at some weird school in some weird town that either just started or yeah. is coming up from the grave somewhere um, to take a chance on a young kid like that. So I was definitely fortunate that, um, you know, the, the three years before I took over, we were eight and two, seven and three, six and four, you know, we had one losing season since 2004. So it's not like, uh, there's a lot of good foundation there and a lot of good support, you know, some things that we wanted to restructure, but it's not, you know, it, it was definitely a, um, made it a little easier for me than starting from the gutter. Talk about the getting over to Mount St. Joe. Mm -hmm. First time you stepped on campus. Was it, that a, was it a visit or was it uh, for yeah. workouts? <laughs> and I don't know if, if you know Coach Huber at all. I do not. Okay. Um, <laughs> he's an interesting person, literally one of a kind. And uh, I remember we walked into the sports complex. And um, actually, I remember that day very well. We get into the car at the house. I'll go even backwards. All right. And we're, we're going in reverse to just pull out to go. And my dad backs into my car that's parked oh. in the driveway. So I remember my parents kind of bickering on the way to this visit already about it. Nothing too bad, but it was just, you know, how it goes. Uh, so we go over to the Mount and it's kind of funny because the Mount's 30 minutes from our house mm -hmm. in Richwood, uh, but none of us have ever been there. We've ever heard of it, right? This Catholic school on the West side of Cincinnati, you know, we haven't been there. Um, so we go and as soon as we walk into the locker room, coach Huber's like, I got coffee and orange juice up here. Coffee and orange juice. If you want some, Coffee and orange juice. I mean, I'm talking for an hour. That's what he said until everyone showed up for the visit and we got going. And he would just go in a loop and he'd go back to his office and come back in and say the same thing and then get going. And it's funny because the the recruiting um, speech that I remember getting, a lot of those elements were still in when, when you know, 
10 years later when I was still coaching for him. So it was just, um, that's your style, funny. man. Yeah. I mean, he had a, a story that I could repeat probably right now. And, um, but he had a cool story. I mean, that and knowing at the, by then I knew I wanted to be a coach. I didn't necessarily know what level or anything like that. I originally went to be a teacher and a coach. Um, before I switched over to sport management, knowing I wanted to be a college coach. But that was a big appeal to me to the Mount as well. Um, There's a couple of things that did. So one was Coach Huber. He was a lot different than Coach Marksberry. And um, Coach Marksberry and I had a great relationship as a player and still do. And so I had a lot of respect for him. But I knew having a different perspective, right? I didn't want the same experience, especially if I wanted to be a coach. It'd be cool to get a different experience. Um, and it definitely was. Um, and... So playing for Coach Huber was awesome. I mean, he his energy every day is just insane, and still to this day. Um, and so, so now I'm kind of some weird mix of the two of them. <laughs> I tell people somewhere in between. Yeah, I tell people that <laughs> along my journey, I took what I loved about coaches from middle school, high school. Well, I guess that's it, <laughs> the middle school and high school, but I had a lot of them. Right. And I I used what I loved about them, but I subtracted what I hated about them. Because right. everybody has, I mean, there's, oh, yeah. it doesn't matter. I mean, you, you could probably remember being a younger guy playing for the Lions, you know, the South Kenton. Oh, yeah. And some of these derelicts down there uh, <laughs> screaming and yelling at a 13-year-old boy who's just trying to do his best, right? I was that kid, yeah. Okay, okay. So... Um, <laughs> like I, if I have ever a coach, <laughs> I'll never do that. Or I would never say that. Yes. I have and, those same specific okay. instances. I think everybody has those. Yeah. And that's how you pick up your style. You know, you talked about coach Huber having the same kind of pitch. Well, that was honed over years right. and years and years and conversation after conversation. And it, it's how he sold it. You know, you, if you can't sell it, you can't do it. Right. In, in your business. Oh, absolutely. You know, I'm a salesman. If I can't sell it, and I'm selling my personality, right? right? If I, but if I can't sell your belief in me, then I need to figure out something else to do. <laughs> right. Absolutely. So, but you know, I think the one thing with the Mount and where I wanted to go originally with that was you've been there since you stepped on campus, you've not left. Yeah. With the exception of that short, <laughs> you know, hours long. It was like eight days. Yeah. Okay. Whatever. Yeah. Eight day, <laughs> eight day tour of Kentucky Christian. And, um, there has to be something that you fell in love with there. Yeah. Um, so I, I, gosh, I visited and, and really like the kids in this area, you know, the kids in the Cincinnati or the Kentucky area are very fortunate, um, because there's a lot of colleges within, four hours of year that recruit this area because, um, because of the football success. So it's, um, I mean, they get 10, 15, 20 coaches contact them. Right. I mean, and that's a kid at any level, basically, if there's any college interest at all, they're getting those contacts. Cause that's how many coaches recruit, how many schools recruit this area. So I probably went on 10, 15 visits, yeah. um, uh, mostly football visits. Um, I did a couple just school visits at like Kentucky and um, maybe EKU and um, but most were football visits, game visits, a mix of tours and, you know, a variety of that. And the Mount was probably, at least to my recollection, was really the only school that I felt like, okay, if football doesn't work out because of injury or like I could still actually want to go to school here <laughs> where most of the others were like, I like that coach or I like those uniforms or whatever, but 
if if there's not football, then I'm not I'm not going here. I don't see myself as a student here. So, and really, it was just that gut feeling, you know, um, being a, a first generation college kid. There really wasn't a ton of like specific questions that we were looking for. That's really all we had to go off of was that gut feeling, right? Yeah. Well, in the bill, but it was sure. like, <laughs> but it was like, okay, we looked at it, and it was similar to same to go to Kentucky where my brother went. And um, it was like, man, I really like this place. It was just something about it. You just felt welcome. Um, the people that ate with us at lunch. And you expect the coaching staff to put their best foot forward, um, which yeah. you'd be surprised in some of the visits of what happens. But um, but it was the other people. It was the the staff and, and everyone just like around that had nothing to do with the visit um, that had a real positive impact that I think just stuck in my mind when I was making uh, my decision. The first time I stepped foot on the mount, I was a s- senior. Well, I just graduated. My best friend, Randy Borchers, coach at Cooper, he uh, had, was going to play football there. Right. And he wanted me to go work out with him. So uh, I don't know if they still do that. I mean, if you have recruits, are they to work out on your facility? Yeah, it's like, um, well, not this year, but there's, oh, yeah. it's just like open field, okay, basically. Okay. Yeah. So we would go early, like 6, 30, 7 o'clock. And that's the first time that I'd ever driven that route you know, going down through whatever and how that road is of, was that 50 or whatever? Yeah, okay. 50 and West. up river road. It was like, you talked about like Richwood's 30 minutes, but it was like a different world. <laughs> it's different <laughs> it for, is. for me too. Right. And going up that, going up that hill. And then once we got up there and parked and just saw all that and then what you can see from there, it was like, wow. Yeah. This for is sure. awesome here. And, and that's still, I mean, our, every time we meet our recruits, parents, you know, and Hey, how you doing? How's the drive? And they're like, wow. You know, cause it yeah. has that appeal and you go through Del high sure. and you're passing frishes and all this stuff. And then all of a sudden you're on campus and you're like, man, it just kind of pops. Um, so it already kind of has that, has that secluded feel, right? And oh, that's, so then the best, when, that's the best word so you can then say. then when you yeah. have, um, and you're just not expecting that, you know, you just saw downtown 10 minutes ago and you just drove through, you know, Del high and all this, all of a sudden you're here. Um, but then once you meet the people, I mean, that's, you know, a big reason that um, I was kind of joke. It's a big reason why I haven't ran away yet, because um, the people are just genuine and the people are real. And, and that gut feeling I had as a high schooler um, kind of came to fruition. And, I mean, I had, a, I had a good football experience. You know, I ended up having a, a um, my senior season. I finally was healthy and can play and had a really good year and have a lot of fond memories. And we won a championship my sophomore year. And um, football was a lot of fun. But a big reason why I feel like I'm I'm head coach um, now is, you know, the professors and some of the staff members that reached out to me as a student to challenge me. You know, um, I like a challenge. I'm the type that I respond best when I'm thrown in the deep end. Um, but you kind of need to be thrown sometimes. So understood that. So, you know, I'll go to class and I'll get a pretty good grade and I'll move along. I mean, that's just probably how a lot of people are. So it was cool at the Mount that there was a lot of people that would see things in me and leadership skills in me and challenge me to get involved in different things. And I ended up being a resident assistant in the dorms a couple of years. I was a, um, um, our NCA rep. So because I was the president of our student athlete advisory committee and I was on student council and all kinds of different things that, um, I would have never dreamed of being involved in, um, and a lot of those things just gave me a kind of a holistic perspective sure. of kind of the background of different things and has definitely given me um, 
you know, just a, a different perspective now, like as a young head coach, having some of those other experiences and seeing that. Um, and ultimately that experience and, and that's what we try to sell now, you know, it's um, because I lived it and, and am living it now. Living the dream. Yeah. Well, I saw here that you were co-captain your senior year. Yeah. First team, all conference. You were all Ohio. Mount St. Joe defensive player of the year. Chosen to play in the Ohio Army National Guard Senior Bowl. Did you get a good gift bag for that? I did. It was that was a neat All Star game. And what stinks is that was actually a really cool All Star game. Um, and it was we played in Columbus Crew Stadium in Columbus, and uh, we practiced at Denison. It was yeah, like for about a month. It was like every Saturday. What a beautiful place that is. Man. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's kind of. A, I don't know what it costs to get there. But <laughs> a lot. A lot. <laughs> Definitely a lot, but it is nice. Um, but yeah, so it was just a really cool experience and to play with other D3 guys. And really, it was a game of all levels. So, um, you know, we had guys on our team from um, Youngstown and a running back from um, Miami Oxford. And we played against guys from um, Bowling Green. And, you know, there was like a um, a senior tight end that wasn't necessarily started at Ohio State. But, you know, there was guys that um, played. So that was cool to be in a mixed all-star game like that and um, cool experience. But it's they I don't think they've had it since that year. Oh, um, really? So all of our guys since then have been disappointed. Like, hey, uh -huh. do they still have that all-star game you're in? Like, nope. But I still have the jacket to prove it. There you go. <laughs> but that was a lot of fun. And, uh, I mean, man, that year, my senior year, we um, – so our defensive coordinator was a guy named Ron Cordini. And Ron Cordini was the second head coach at Mount St. Joe. Um, coach Huber, um, who I mentioned before, um, who recruited me and hired me, um, when they started the program – 30 years ago, mm -hmm. John Pont started it. And John Pont um, won a Rose Bowl at Indiana and, um, you know, kind of his later years, you know, was hired to start this program. So he had a great reputation. And Coach Cordini was, um, man, he was a GA under Bo Schembechler in like 1958 or something like that. And, uh, um, and I think coached the same exact defense through 2011 when he coached me, but he was at uh, Colorado. He coached for Lee Corso at Indiana and had a lot of stops in between was um, defensive coordinator, at Wichita state, just all this crazy stuff. And um, so coach Huber, you know, um, brought him back to coach the defense that year. And uh, it was super simple, um, which I respond to great. And what we tried to do now is yeah. let's just be really good at a couple things. And so we had seven or eight seniors on that defense and just really responded to that. And so um, we had a really good defense that year, but we had four, four senior defensive linemen in front of me um, and a freshman who was ended up at the end of the year was our best defense alignment um, at nose guard. And, um, you know, my worst game that year is the game that he got hurt because <laughs> he kept people off of me. So I was definitely a benefit of kind of the system and, uh, and all that. And, and not that, um, you know, I'm not proud of what I did personally. It was just, it was kind of that perfect mix. You know, I went from um, kind of being a starter and being injured my junior year and just not really contributing that much, <laughs> at least, um, in terms of production, um, to, you know, leading the team in tackles and being a captain and all that kind of stuff. So it was really cool. But, um, and a lot of those guys, it's been really cool to see those teammates start to come back now, um, cause they have some of the same fond memories and they know what, what I'm trying to build and those things that we felt like at the end of our senior year, 
that we were very proud of kind of changing and building at the Mount that some of those same things are, are what we're trying to do now. Let me ask you something. Is my belief being the head coach here that I am just a, a steward of the program. There will be someone else someday and another and another and another. So as steward, I think we are responsible to preserve the history of the program and also gather the history of the program. Right. One of my great joys is seeing the former players come back to games. Um, I enjoy the texts and the calls more than anything else, even after a loss, it doesn't matter. Right. Just, just the fact that there's a relationship there. No, I didn't play here. Like in your situation, right. playing at the Mount, playing with good dudes and having coached so many dudes. And yeah, it, look, the, the tradition, the Mount is really good. It's a great tradition. Yeah. And, and I know that it's just a small school on the West side sitting on top of the Hill, but they've had a lot of success there. Yeah, for sure. Right. And they've recruited this area very well, the tri-state area, and have made their name on those players. Does it, does embracing that past and uh, bringing people back, is that something that's a big joy for you or? Yeah, absolutely. And I think, um, you know, I've heard um, a lot of good speakers. One of my favorite ones at AFCA conference a couple of years ago, um, Craig Bowl, the head coach at Wyoming, um, it's like there's a lot of coaches that do a lot of good things in college football, but I can't duplicate that here at Wyoming. Now there are some things that are all similar across all successful football programs, but I have to build something that the people of Wyoming and the past people at Wyoming are going to respond to, which is much different than most other places, right? So it's kind of like we have to recruit that brand and build that brand and culture. That way it also connects everyone else right because it's not just you it's not just you and the 11 guys on the field it is everybody i mean it is um the people that come to your games the people that live next door the people that played there graduated from there even just live there right um so that was really cool to me because it's like okay if we're on the west side of cincinnati we we have to be blue collar i mean that's just the name of the game i mean we're a private sure. liberal arts school but we're in the west side of cincinnati west we blue collar man i worked over there for four years football. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and we've seen that the alumni respond to that too, because starting a program, um, from scratch, uh, in 1990 was not easy. And, you know, there was a lot of games lost before, you know, 2004 where that, that senior class at the Mount was, uh, Oh, and 10 and their senior yeah. year, they were 10 and Oh. And since then we've had one losing season and, um, kind of like you mentioned before at SK, um, three or four of those games were by less than a score, two in overtime, I think. Um, so um, so a lot of success, but a lot of that's because we kind of build into what we do, you know, and, and the couple years that you find yourself getting away from that are years that not only do you see yourself slipping on the field, but you also see a disconnect with alumni and the community and things like that too. So um, that's definitely something and I have obviously a benefit of being a part of it 12 of the 30 years um, and then connecting with um, people I played with and then some of the other guys. And um, so getting some of those back and getting those guys to come to games, you know, we had uh, our homecoming this year was awesome. You know, I had about a hundred football alumni in the end zone and that was really cool for our guys to see. And, um, but I also think there's, I mean, it's really cool to build that, but it's, I mean, there's tangible there's things that are tangible for your current team when that happens though. When they have alumni that are that supportive, 
I, I guarantee you that there is on-field and on-court success Facts. from that because you're playing for more. You see what you're actually playing for, not just, hey, me and my friends are trying to win this game. Um, you you understand the community and the history and the pride, you know. Um, Do you feel pressure being an alumnus and when, on that aspect? Not um, So you see former teammates, former players in the community, and – Maybe you're in a stretch that you're not playing very well. Right. Is that, a, is that something that weighs on you? Because when I'm out and I see, yeah, and we're not playing well at the time, because we, you know, we're, we're coaching with young men, they're boys. Right. They don't, they're not the best every day. They're not their <laughs> best version every day, right? Right. That's realistic. For sure. I don't expect them to be robots. But, you know, when I see people or talk to people, it's always encouraging, but leading up to that, when I see that there's their name in the caller ID or I see them walking towards me at the Kroger, I kind of get that, oh shit, um, <laughs> what, what what am I going to, Right. you know, it's like a, I don't know, I don't know if I want to call it anxiety, but you know, like your stomach turns a little bit like, oh, how am I going to explain that? Or For sure. Yeah, I understand, you know. But I but, think it keeps you in check too, and, and um, but it is your responsibility. You talked about being a... a Steward, it's like, that's exactly sure. what it is. And that's part of it. And that's why some coaches, I think, get very narrow-minded because they're just worried about the scoreboard or just worried about this season. And, and yeah, that's important, and that can help in a lot of ways. But, you know, there's a lot that goes into it. And if you're not careful, those things can affect your on-field on-court stuff. You could definitely overthink things. Yes. Yeah. Um, but it's definitely, I mean, I definitely take pride in that responsibility, but there's definitely pressure. I mean, you I mean, it helps when you win, you know, um, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. they're a little bit more supportive yeah. when you win. Um, but a lot of it is also just, you know, encouraging them to come to games and because we're still a pretty young program, you know, our first alumni are just now having high school age kids really. So they're just now kind of even at the point, you know, uh, cause some teams we play against have been playing football for 130 oh, yeah. years, you know, um, especially in the conference. Right. So yeah. there's, I mean, you know, we don't have that. So now there's alumni starting to reconnect. And even the guys I played with, or they have young kids and starting to bring them to games and reconnect a little bit. Um, so that, that's been really cool. And I think it helps them to see that. And I think they definitely respond to, um, I mean, I think they like having alumni. I mean, I think I'm technically the first alumni head coach, which I'm only the fourth head coach in 30 years mm -hmm. um, at the Mount. Um, I wonder if Trevor is the same over there, Thomas Moore. I wonder if he's – because you guys both got hired around the same age too. Right. It's and, funny. And he – yeah, because their program was started within a year of ours as well. So it's very similar. Um, so he probably is hmm. um, just because there wouldn't have been at first. Well, then I hope you guys <laughs> go undefeated for the rest of your lives and then we'll start a movement, right? <laughs> so I'm going to talk a little bit more before we move on to your coaching. I read this this stat – that I'm wondering what the hell you're doing coaching football, <laughs> three-time Heartland Collegiate Athletic Conference, all-academic award winner, National Football Foundation Scholar-Athlete. What? What are you? <laughs> graduated uh, magna cum laude. What? I mean, what are you doing? Why a lot of you people out, ask, like <laughs> running a business, man. Yeah, a lot of people ask me uh, making a million dollars. Hey, yeah, couldn't you make a lot more money doing something else? Your wife didn't have I to work. <laughs> she should. She should. What's she saying when you're asleep, man? Get your uh, ass out there and get to work. I don't work. want to know. <laughs> <laughs> it's easier now uh, being a full time coach. Um, coaching was harder to argue when I was making four thousand yeah. dollars a year. Yeah. Um, and working three jobs and trying to sell that. 
um, was hard. Because look, at the, the tuition's not cheap. Right. And so that's, um, yeah, so that was hard. So now, I mean, being full-time definitely helps. And being a full-time college coach is definitely not something to take for granted. And no. I think a lot of guys do. Um, but yeah, a lot of people uh, have asked that same question. Um, that's impressive, I'm, though. Um, and so, I think as a coach, so, so as just a normal man, if I had a child who was saying – deciding on where he wanted to go to school. Say he was good enough to play football at, at uh, any level of college, right? I would want him to play for and live in a place where his leader is making sure that his academics were good and that he was going to you know, be that, strive for that. That's important. Like here, we don't play with grades. Right. Uh, that is my well, the only thing that I don't bend on. And I've removed kids for bad grades, not even an eligible grade level, but look, here's where you're at. This is where you got to be. You've got one week to get this up. And then the next week you got a week to get that up. I'm not playing with it. Right. And because this is your whole life. And, and I think the thing that kids don't understand the high school kids is they just look at that as a trimester, but the reality is it is their college money. Right. Every trimester that goes at the end of that trimester, when those grades are solid, that affects every dollar you get. Right. And I can't tell you how many conversations, Jeremy, I mean, Jeremy sits in these conversations that I have with these kids. Stop messing around. This is a, a public high school, right? This is not a prep school, you know, or something, you know, where you're paying $30,000 a year to go. Right. Get your job done and <laughs> do the hard stuff now. That uh, way, yeah. when it's time to go to college, and you have, your transcripts are good, your GPA is good, and, you know, hopefully your ACT score is good. You guys use that ACT over there? Yeah. This year, um, most people are switching to um, test optional. It's just terrible. Because of like. The ACT is know. terrible. It's yeah. a travesty. <laughs> I'm sorry. It is. And so a lot of schools are transitioning that way. And that's one of the benefits of yeah. kind of this COVID situation is, um, it's forcing colleges to have to look at transcripts more closely. And we kind of always have at the Mount, you know, they um, definitely take into account the type of classes you're taking and the history and even trends, you know, like, Hey, okay. It was rough his freshman year, but he's, you know, he's getting better as a student, you know, they, um, and then, you know, the, the test score helps. And a lot of times that's how you're paired with financial aid. Exactly. Right. Um, but so I think it'll challenge universities to have to get, creative and that's what these kids don't understand you know they dick around their freshman year when they should have had a 4-0 right let's be real <laughs> sorry <laughs> or close let's at least. be real right you know and you you all of a sudden you look at it and you have all c's that freshman year and okay well you're telling me you want to play college basketball well that's fine i'm looking at this missing assignment missing assignment missing assignment unacceptable that's not going to get you anywhere because you have to prepare for any eventuality at any level of college where you're going to go. So whether it is a D3 or an NAIA, D2, whatever, it doesn't, JUCO. Mm -hmm. The fact is, is that if you don't want to pay money the rest of your life, do the hard stuff now. Right. Coaches don't want to take chances on kids with, I would imagine at Mount St. Joe, you're not going to take a risk on a kid that's subpar academically because it's not going to work out right? because if he's going to struggle there paying X amount of dollars that it costs, getting no aid 
or, you know, whatever. Uh, what's the tuition at Mount St. Joe? Uh, 30000 Okay, 30000 So $120,000 to play football and to get your degree. All right. You'll pay that. I mean, that's a, that's your first house, right? <laughs> you know what I mean? For sure. And in, in order to alleviate yourself from that, so you're not paying that when you get out of school, I just, I don't, I don't get it. These conversations though, I don't know how much they're being had. I'm not afraid to talk about it. Yeah. Cause there's certain real. coaches, certain programs and even certain high schools that you're starting to see that there's a, you know, they're trying, but it's also, I mean, I remember 14 year old me enough <laughs> and I took it. I took academics seriously enough. I mean, I was a pretty smart kid and just kind of did it. Cause that's what I was expected to do. Um, but I could have done better, you know? And I think a lot of it is you kind of just go through the motions and then you don't, cause you're not thinking about that. And even if you're told you're that not. you still don't really know what it means. I mean, you're just like, okay, I'm 15. But why, <laughs> but why is it not being talked about that? I right. think that's the thing that makes me crazy when I, when I see the grades, you know, look, we get crazy when they get to us, it's too late. And yeah. that's what's oh, frustrating I understand to that. me. I get it. Um, and that's definitely what's frustrating to me because you see a lot of guys that even if they're, they're worth recruiting, you know, but they're just so close to getting to where their financial aid would just be so much different. Right. And I mean, I'm even talking, sometimes it's a 10th of a sure. point sometimes yeah. that two nine nine and that 3.0 is a lot of money at a lot of places. Um, but it's like keeping a foundation and, and, you know, for recruiting, it's a track record, you know, um, a GPA tells me a lot. Test score definitely shows me in a lot of cases, test score just shows me more like potential. Yeah. Right. And, you know, we have some guys that it's like, man, you had a 28 ACT. Like, you know I mean? There's just certain, like his brain just works a little bit differently. Right. And I'm not saying that that should justify financial aid or academic success, but there's still something to be said for guys that score very high on a test. But the GPA to me is a track record. If you have a a 2.0 or a 2.4, okay. That means that most of the time you're putting below average stuff on there. And you, you mentioned the term missed assignment in the literal sense. Okay. Well, think about it on the court or the field, okay, in the scoreboard. And I always talk academics. I always try to draw it to football because I hope that our guys understand football. So it's like, okay, if you miss assignment, miss assignment, miss assignment, guess what? They're going to score yep. and now you're behind, right? Yep. And then it's a lot harder to come back from behind yep. than it is to stay ahead. Because if you do your assignment, do your assignment, do your assignment, now we're ahead or at least even, right? And it's much easier to do that and maintain that than it is to come back behind from 21 nothing because you were screwing around. <laughs> so and it's the same exact assignment, thing in academics. You're out of the game. Right. And exactly. the team could lose the game because of these misassignments. Right. And so it, it's and it academics parallels are very well. Oh, yeah. It's extremely well. And I like that analogy, and, too. Um, I mean, I mean it makes it. sense. Yeah. You should. I'm yeah. going to. I'm I have stealing a lot of it. analogies. I pretty much speak in analogies. But <sighs> we speak in Game of Thrones <laughs> quotes. I don't know if you're I've never of... seen it, so what? don't. Uh, I know. I'm sorry. This you should is... have vetted me before I got on here. Yeah. Well, I'm going to have to call somebody. Uh, but but I, I think it's good. I mean, but it's that foundation, right? Yeah. And sometimes it's too late because think about how many times you've been the better team. Okay. And Facts. because of lack of preparation, whether on your own, um, you know, you and the coaching staff and in, in lack of attention to it or approach or of game plan that just wasn't that sound. And obviously just players too, you know, that miss assignments, whether it's their fault or just how things are going. I mean, that, that, that first bad quarter, I mean, that's, that's hard to recover from, you know, and especially, I mean, to me, that's your freshman year or your first semester and it's all right, you drop the ball. Now it's not over. You still have a chance, but it's a lot harder now. And, and the problem is, is that, you know, better, 
right? And so that's the thing too with the kids. It's like, that's why it needs to be taught because how many people have been down that road, yeah, right? A lot. Countless. Yeah. So it's like, you know, there should be, have been enough lessons learned that that's starting to trend the other way. And it probably is better now than it was. You know, there's a little bit more knowledge about um, test scores and, and college readiness and stuff, but it's still not where it needs to be. No. I mean, you still see it, you know, and, and a lot of times what I see is guys that just don't think that that's what they're going to do. You know, their freshman, sophomore year of high school, they're just thinking about work or, okay, I'm just generically going to go to college. But then all of a sudden their junior year, they have a good junior year and they're like, man, I really want, I might want to play college football. Well, now it's, you know, it's too late to go back. Yeah, the haze in the, the barn. Stuff. Yeah. Um, so, but it, I mean, it always, it it's always frustrating to me. And, and my heart hurts for kids that just come by it honestly, you know. I mean, there's also a, the same examples of kids that they knew better and just didn't do it. I mean, they'll struggle with that their whole life. But uh, my heart hurts just for the kids that don't know any better, right, or didn't have that guidance that, that I was fortunate to have or that some other people can fall into. Um, but I, mean, I, I want to say something about that. You, I think that with the generation of kids we're dealing with, and we talked a lot in a lot of episodes about this generation of kid. I think that the one difference academically between them and say the 2010 groups of kids, I think that they understand a little bit better. You know, they, they seem so the four years that I've been a head coach, you know, I'll check those grades religiously. And if we've got a kid that's on the bubble, I'll pull them in and say, here, pull up your grades. I want to see your grades just randomly so I could check. But, you know, we don't really have them. I mean, we've had, what do we had 30 kids in the program last year, top to bottom, freshmen, sophomores, juniors, seniors, 30 kids. And I think 23 were academic, all state, either honorable mention or first right. team. And that, Look, cat, 10 years ago, right? <laughs> that wasn't happening. Right, for sure. You know, you were you were walking with a kid to a classroom like, we need to figure out what the hell's going on in this class. Yeah. Um obviously we're dealing with um parents now who um were probably harder workers in in high school, whereas like our parents were probably working and um just trying to get by really right. honestly. Right. <laughs> for sure. And, and so their kids, they, they want better for their kids, you know, sit down, get it done. No excuses. I don't want to hear your mouth, do it before you go outside or before you do that. Yeah. And it, and it <laughs> kind of shows you just how that cycle. Right. So, you know, hopefully when, when these kids are having children of their own, it'd be the same deal. Now, will these kids speak? Because, with that, you know, we're all going to need, they're going to need to walk around with an iPad. Text. Yeah, they're going to need to walk around with an iPad saying, you know, my name is Tyler Hopperton, you know, but, uh, it, it, but, but it is, a, it is kudos to them, you know, and, and I'm sure that there are places that it's probably not as stringent. I mean, we have a really good community here, right? We have so many really smart kids and even the kids that, even those seven kids that were not academic all state, I think the volleyball program, they are all right. Every one of those young women were academic all state. It's impressive, man. Yeah. <laughs> and and that, that's a credit to your administration and the educators in your building as well sure. as the parent. Um, but those seven that, that were not, they didn't miss by much. Right. You know, we might've had one here or there, but 
um, that was just meh. Yeah, just we've, gonna work. we've been doing pretty good. And that was kind of the big thing, too. Even when I became assistant head coach, our retention rate was low. You know, yeah. we weren't bringing back the majority of our kids. And that's frustrating, especially when they're on field talent. Like, great, you played good for a year and then you left because of things that we could try to control. So I tried to use my experiences as a student athlete and even specifically at Mount St. Joe um, to put systems into place to help our kids, you know. And so um, now we have a lot of systems in place. They're very aware of the resources on campus. You know, day one of training camp, we get into groups and we stop by these resources on campus. The people come out, you know, Kathy at the Learning Center comes out and, hey, this is how you sign up for tutoring, you know, and this is two weeks before they even start class. So then they at least know too and, and – outside of football practice so in meetings so from 3 30 to 6 30 i talk about football outside of that i probably don't f- talk football but one percent of my time <laughs> i mean mm-hmm. and especially as head coach you know the coordinators is probably a little more skewed um towards football um but it's like i mean i'm talking academics i'm talking just straight work ethic. so much I'm on your plate about everything else because um, the football is the easy part. I mean, our, our kids as college football players, if you're not motivated to play football, don't play college football. I mean, and, and that usually works itself out. So it's the other stuff, you know, and even the very smart, capable kids that even have 4.0s, that's still the hard part, right? When you wake up in the morning, it's not like, oh, football. It's, oh, I got to go to English, right? I mean, even the best students in the world have that day. Absolutely. So trying to keep that pushing. So this year was really cool. We, um, um, our team, our football team had the most academic all-conference um, members than any team of any sport in our conference this year. So I think we had 17 members, and that's above a 3.5 um, QM GPA for your upperclassmen. So we had 17 upperclassmen that, um, that you know, have a QM 3.5. Now, that number for a 3.0 is, almost, you know, triple that probably. You know, that next tier of guy is right there, but that 3.5 and above – um, was really cool. So the most of any football team, but then as the year went on, it was the most of any program. So it was just really cool to um, have that many high academic achievers. And that was, you know, three of those guys were first team all conference for us. Um, so that was really cool to see too, you know, that some of the best players in the conference are also some of the best students. You know, on top of winning games, that is your job. Yes. Right. And Making sure that they're getting what they need to have good grades, graduate, be good human beings, you know, be yeah. productive members of society. Right. With, with my talk with um, President Williams when he named me head coach, um, outside of a blanket statement of, hey, I want to win football games, it was almost nothing about that at all. You know, he wants our guys involved in campus and taking leadership roles on campus. And, you know, we have 80-something clubs on campus, and he wants football represented in as much as possible, right? And he wants our guys doing things, starting things, and all that kind of stuff, um, as well as, you know, achieving academically. Um, So, I mean, that's our main drive and our main push, and I'm fortunate that I work for people that understand that, that they understand that that's what we're doing. Now, if we're good enough recruiters, and I always tell our coaches this, and I even use this as a recruiting pitch, you know, we focus on the non-football things. Now, we take football serious. We love football, right? We were talking about Coach Thompson earlier. I mean, he's been coaching football longer than I've been alive, and I remind him of that a lot. Does but- he try to boss you around? <laughs> does, he try to, does he try to impose his will on you? Uh, I'm a big fan of Rick. <laughs> yeah. Your face he is did, red, so he, I know you're going to. He would admit it. Okay, good. Uh, he'll admit it today. But you know I what? He was a head coach for so long. Yes. And, he, and that and was he, interesting, too. Yeah. And we can talk about we and can talk about that transition. With, he worked with such a legendary coach, right? Yeah. And and the people on that staff. I mean, think about the dudes that are on those staffs that have gone off now to become head coaches out of that tree. Right. You know, uh, you know, Bryson Warner, 
Dave Trosper, Eric Turner, uh, is it Cal Niederman? At, is he at Lloyd? Is that what his name is? Yes. Know. Yeah. You know, they were they were all Boone guys, man. Right. And I'm sure that I'm missing. I'm missing. I'm sure some, there's but, more. <laughs> yeah. And Ricky Thompson. Because there's probably countless assistant coaches. Yeah. yeah. Right. I mean, th- that they're all out of that deal. So I, I understand that. And he had a lot of a lot of success those last years. The end for Rick. Boone was not Boone. <laughs> they were not Boone that everybody knew. And we always joke with them, too, yeah. you know, and because um, there was there was people. Uh, what was the the phrase that always that he always laughed at, um, at least externally. Oh, the Rick Thompson hangover that they were still struggling. Boone was still struggling. I'm like, okay, the, you know, Corey Ferris ain't getting the ball in uh, his belly true. 50 times a game. Yeah. All right. You can ask my spine. All you right? know he what? ran through me several times after Rick had left. And <laughs> I forget that cat's name that was there that took over that yeah. job. Real nice guy. Super nice guy. Came from Bowling Green. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I was Cheaters. the coordinator at Bowling Green. <laughs> yeah, whatever. <laughs> They're cheaters. Um, <laughs> they cheat in everything down there. Anyway. So, so, yeah, so Rick coached against me. So, obviously, I was on the field at Simon Kenton when yeah. he was um, at Boone. Um, and, actually, I wasn't the head coach at the time, but um, Troy Steyer was on our staff for um, a yeah. couple years, and he was the head coach Love at Campbell Troy. when I played. Yes. Um, Dave Worth, I think we only scrimmaged, but, I mean, he was a head coach in Northern Kentucky when I played, and he was on staff. Tom Grippa over at LaSalle was on staff when I was um, assistant head coach. Um, Tony Zito has been coaching uh, as an assistant D-line coach um, for almost, you know, 25 years probably in the, in the area. I mean, there was a lot of guys and a lot of experience. So that was kind of the interesting part, too, of transitioning to head coach. I want to, Let's go there real fast <laughs> since we're on this. Go ahead. You get the big job. And obviously your first thing, you're doing hire staff. Yeah. Right. Was there a lot of retention or did you have to go out and you had to fill roles? It was a weird off season. It was a weird off season for a lot of reasons. Um, so the year before our offensive coordinator left, um, coach Worth was a wide receiver coach, but so Grippa left for the Milford head coaching job. Coach Worth left for the Purcell Marion head coaching job. Coach Steyer, um, I don't know if he went to Campbell or Bellevue. He went to Bellevue. Uh, right, right away. I think it was Bellevue. His long-term sub. And yeah. I mean, talk about oil guys, goodness. Um, so, I mean, but he kind of wanted back to that change of pace. Um, and then defensive staff essentially stayed the same. Um, so offense was, was different. So, um, but that year, because of that retention um, of coaches and kind of just where we were as a program, um, you know, me and Coach Coral who's our current offensive coordinator, and he's my age, just a couple weeks younger than me. He was our volunteer, basically, quarterbacks coach. Um, But that year we recruited about 70 kids to the program, and he recruited – him and I recruited all but three of them, I think. (laughs) So it was kind of like, hey, you're you're, – I got promoted to head coach, so I promoted him to the full-time job, and it's like, you know – keep recruiting and I hope you can call an offense basically. Um, he had, I mean, his dad was a coach at Batavia for a long time and Batavia had some good success. Um, Jamie Coral was his name. And so he, I mean, he grew up coach's kid, knew football. Now he didn't want to do what Batavia did. They ran it a thousand times a game and coach. Um, well, that's the Coral new age, man. Everybody wants to throw, everybody <laughs> wants to run the spread. So, uh, well, that's why I was going, so I, that was kind I, of, I that was transition. going there with the Boone, with the right. Boone, the guy who took over, he wanted to come in and throw the spread. In. Right. And I looked right at him at the scrimmage, and I said, "This is Boone County, bro. <laughs> like this, that's not what yeah, happened." Yeah, it's so, like it looks like a magic shot. Yeah, I didn't want to cut. You. Well, no, and he good. won what two games in two years, and then that yeah. gone. 
Right. Um, but you yeah, know. so having Caleb, who's first time coach coordinator, basically too, yeah. and then in combination with Rick. So, you know, us three is kind of who had, had the sales. And so uh, Rick and I, so I was the linebackers coach my first year coaching. Then for two years, I was, so Rick's first year with us, he was, him and I both coached linebackers and then he was special teams coordinator. And my first year and that year, I basically helped with special teams. So then my third year, I was special teams coordinator, but then became, yeah, I was still a linebackers coach with Rick. So Rick and I worked literally alongside each other for four of my eight years. I mean, of just like everything we did was collaborative. Um, so when I became head coach, it definitely was interesting. You know, I mean, it was, it was weird for all of us. Um, and so it was really cool to see Rick adjust to that. I mean, from having that experience, and I know he enjoyed being an assistant coach after his time at Boone because you're relieved of some of those Trust coach me, things. I get it. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, but when it transitioned, it was just interesting because now of not only just a young head coach, but a first time head coach, you know? Um, and then, but it was cool to see him and us, I guess I should say, find that balance too. But there was things that I let him run with too. You know, I'm, I'm, um, I mean, I guess all head coaches have some some selfish pride in them. I guess we all do. But your assistants but have to coach. Like, yeah, he's been coaching for thirty two years. Got to let him coach. And I'm twenty seven. Great. So like, you've got enough to do. You do this. Yes. And I'm gonna do this because I'm good at this or know this. Was it hard to delegate? And so yes. Yeah. And especially because my personality, being an assistant coach, um, you know, I've always had the mindset of chasing responsibilities, not titles. Right. The titles will come, but if if you're chasing titles. You're not going to be ready, right? When you actually get that title and that chance, you're not going to be ready because you you haven't you haven't had those responsibilities. You haven't done anything. I mean, if you're going if you're going into a fight, are you are you worried? Or and and not to downplay war, but if you're going into into battle, right? Are you are you worried about being the general? Or are you worried about being able to actually fight? Right? I'm worried about matter. being able to fight. Yeah, because <laughs> it won't matter yeah. if you can fight. Then it doesn't matter because you're like I'm I'm prepared. I'm ready to go. And if I get promoted, I'm ready to go because I have that experience. But if you're just worried about titles, you ain't going to be ready and your title ain't going to last for long anyway. So I always had that mindset. And a lot of that's because of advice I was given. Um, and that's just kind of my background. I mean, my, um, you know, I don't come from like a long line of crazy athletes or anything like that. Um, but I just come from a long line of hard work. Well, you, you know, you talked farm. about flipping the script. Yeah, I mean, exactly. my, my dad's life and my life were completely different yeah. <laughs> all because of his hard work and, and sacrifice and dedication. And it's the same with other family members too, that the life that I was privy to is much different all because of that. So seeing that and understanding what that can do, that's what we try to convey now. So that was a big reason that I felt comfortable. Um, but it was kind of weird too, because so I, I still haven't been a defensive court. So I, I've most of my coaching experience is defense. So I still outside of JV haven't called a defensive game. I mean, I, and so when I became head coach, I felt more comfortable getting the head coach job than I probably would getting a defensive coordinator job at the time, just because of where my responsibilities were. Um, it was mostly in operations and all that kind of stuff. Now I've done special teams for most of my career um, as a coordinator um, and coached a couple different defensive positions. Yeah, but, but people coach special teams in the NFL, bro. Right. I mean, let's oh, be yeah. real. Like, I mean, it's definitely, yeah. And well, but that's kind of a good example. So no one wanted it. Nobody ever wants to coach special teams. Right? And Jeff you, Marksbury coaches special teams. <laughs> he did. Yeah. And is a great example. Noel Rash coaches he, special he teams. Runs, exactly. So that that's what I saw. And I saw that opportunity. Yeah. And in special teams too, that attitude is already there with the kids too. Right? Sometimes kids are like, oh, I don't really want to be, I just want to start receiver. I don't want to go out and block somebody. Yeah. Right? But if it's like, if this is the head coach 
doing it, it's like it, we're taking it serious. And that's the beauty, too, of becoming the head coach while being the special teams coordinator is I can use whoever I want. I can travel whoever I want. Um, so that competition for those spots in special teams has amped it up, you know, and we've had, um, you know, we've had the special teams player of the year in the conference each of the last two years. All coaching. Uh, first, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Ask our returner that. Uh, I just let <laughs> I him just, loose. I just I let him get that, on yeah. the field. Oh, come <laughs> the on. returner. Well, that's the same with the kickers, too. Yeah. Uh, that's definitely on, that's that's on my profile somewhere. It is. I'm reading it, yeah. That I've coached uh, three first-team all-conference kickers. Two. Two. Oh, okay, I'm sorry. Yes, yeah, it's yeah, three yeah. now. It's three now. This was Shane a, this Kelly, is a little Jerry older. Porter, Spencer Dufresne were all first team all conference kickers. Jerry was kicker and punter, and then special teams player of the year. Yeah. And then Troy, in terms of a returner, um, man, he's good. And I just let him do it. Is really the call. I mean, I don't. You know what I? Yeah. <laughs> I don't really coach much. You know what I call that? Smoke and mirrors. <laughs> you know, we had a D one player that led us to the Final Four to state tournament. And everybody, man, you did such a great job. I'm like, smoke and mirrors, man. Yes, thank you. Just go get the ball and do your thing. <laughs> See, right? I say thanks. <laughs> smoke yeah. and mirrors. Thank you. Yes, I don't. I agree. I don't. Uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm too proud to, to, the, to take someone's credit from them. <laughs> they definitely know that, though. And our players know that. And that's what we, I mean, that's how we coach. It's like, we're going to do us. Like, I'm, I'm going to bring to the table at Mount St. Joe football what I do well. Right? Yes. But that's that doesn't include anything that happens within the lines. I mean, that's these guys. So it's like. Okay, if you want to get every defensive snap at corner and you still want to go out and kick return and do this and, the, you know, that same guy bugs me to get on to be a punt gunner and all this kind of stuff, great, let's play. Now, he ends up in an ice bath most games. Sure. Um, but he wants to play, and we want guys that just want to go out and play, and we let them do that. And when I was a player at Newcath, special teams were revered. Right. It was like because they had their own practice time. And it was um, – so you had the – we did double sessions, right, like everybody else. You know, we're 8 to 3 o'clock, right? right? Awful. So you come up, you know, grab your shower after the first practice, have your lunch, do meetings, and then you kind of laid around for a little bit. Well, then the special teams had their own time to go on down. And the man who coached special teams was everybody's favorite, Bill Morgan, right? Yeah. And he would bring the bag of balls out and, you know, he would start going down and special teams, here we go. And it was awesome like right. it, because it, it because it's such a small group. Right. It felt like a select group. And exactly. And it should be. The really, really good – players and athletes were on these groups. Um, I mean, think about, I, I always try to sell it this way too. Think about the things that you ask kids to do on special teams compared to what you ask them to do on offense and defense. It is so much more dynamic. Yeah. Right. Like, so I try to amp it up like that. Like if that's the toughest thing to do athletically, then we need our best athletes out there. Right. I don't need my second team yeah. defensive lineman yes. running 30 yards backwards no, and then blocking a guy that's running. For, you because know what that's I mean? nothing they've ever done from the time they were a little boy <laughs> playing in the peewee league. Right. Yeah. And then you're practicing doing this all week. And then for four times a game, you got to go do this. It makes no sense. So, I mean, we put our best athletes out there and you know, my verbiage to our guys is, I mean, you never know which play is going to win the game. Right. So if you don't want to win us the game, great, don't play. But I'm going to put the best players out there because you don't know what play that is. Our best dudes are going to be out there. Right. Or our best dudes are going to be beat out for these spots. But that's usually, you know, when we start summer, it's like um, so. Oh, let's see. Our last championship 2018. um, Our punt team was top 10 in the country in net punting. Now we had a guy that could boom it. Right. He had one punt that had a six second hang time. So (laughs) that helps. But I also had nine. Uh eight defensive starters on the punt team. Wow. That's great. <laughs> so uh, the snapper, the punter, and then like a, a running, just our special teams mm-hmm. dude were the only ones. Everyone else was starting defensive player. Like, yeah. And that's why we're really good. 
and we do something very simple. We block the same direction every punt. I mean, we, there's nothing crazy. It's good players doing something simple, buying into it. So that's definitely helped. But as a young coach, I mean, I just noticed it seemed like it was getting pawned off on everybody. So I'm like, I'll do it. I want to do something, so let me do special teams. So I did it. And then um, that's basically how I did everything. You know, JV needed somebody to kind of run it. I did it. Somebody had to do operations and film and equipment and all this stuff. And actually, I kind of left my first game as head coach, all right? And that's a whole other story. But I, I fixed a helmet on the sidelines <laughs> as my first game as head coach. And it was like, at first I'm mad, but then I'm just kind of laughing. Like, this is just funny. This is what you do. <laughs> yeah, it's, it, Cause it's like, I'm just, I, but I would say that I'm going to do the head coaches at any sport, especially when you're dealing with the younger people, right? They've all had those situations. Um, uh, I, we talked to us last week on a show. There's nothing in this program that is done that I don't do or won't do. And that includes cleaning the toilet in the bathroom, um, vacuuming the floor. It doesn't matter. Right. Like part of me gets um, a joy out of it because it's just me and I don't have to worry about all the BS and whatever. I'm just uh, a task. We talked before uh, off, off the uh, bike about like, I'm a checklist guy. I love organization that way. If I have a checklist, boom, I'm just, Bang, 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 bang. Yep. But if I'm just sitting here with my brain, everything swirling <laughs> around, like I got to get this done, this done, this done, I won't get it done. But, um, you know, we had a game. I left the bench to go get something off of the bench during a varsity game at some point. I don't I might have been my first year. I don't know if it was blood or something, but I left the bench myself because I couldn't get the attention of something. Right. So I just went and did it real quick. And it was quick, but... Um, it's okay. Right. I mean, I wasn't right. mad. Um, <laughs> you know, it's, you know, I, I like that. And, and it shows that you will do what it takes to succeed. Um, whether that be, you know, your personal success, your team's success and man, kids, they feed off that. Yeah. They understand it. If, if, I mean, you, if you're not paving the way, yeah. it, it's only going to be a roller coaster. I mean, if, if you're not willing to do those things, you're not going to sustain anything. You might get lucky, right? You might strike a match. Things might get hot because the talented players are just the way things swing. But to be consistent, I mean, the, that foundation has to be there, you know. And, and when coaches generically say, well, co you know, programs that do things the right way. Well, that's what it is. It's everybody understanding this is what needs to be done. It doesn't really matter who does it, right? And as the head coach, as a leader, it's like if you're not willing to do it and you're above that, then what, I mean, what's that even, then is it something that should even be done? Right. Yeah. If you're not, I mean, if it's not that important, then why is it even a task to be had? No. <laughs> All right. A couple questions. Who do you, who do you consider your biggest role model in coaching or uh, someone you've learned the most from? Right. Um, it's kind of, it, that's probably kind of interesting just because I, I've, you know, a lot of coaches and especially head coaches have been a lot of places. You know, there's a couple of guys like me, you kind of build up through the ranks, but even then there's probably a couple of head coaches or different coordinators you've coached with, you know, my coaching tree isn't very big, you know? Um, I mean, at the Mount, I was with the same guy for nine years, you know, and with coach Marksberry um, at Simon Kenton and a couple of assistant coaches in between and stuff here and there. So it's each, um, 
So there's probably guys that kind of impacted each segment, you know, coach Marksberry is probably the overarching one. And a lot of that is not only just my high school experience, but just our relationship since then. Um, and he's been great in that capacity and it's been cool to share ideas and just to pick his brain and, and all that kind of stuff. Um, and then, um, I mean, Coach Huber hired me, you know, he recruited me and hired me. And there's definitely a lot of stuff, especially energy and his day-to-day -day energy at practice and stuff is something that I try to emulate because because um, it can be a grind. So seeing that genuine attitude every day, I think is, you know, like you said, you're selling personality and you're not just selling it recruiting, right? It has to be the same. So I definitely appreciated that. Um, I had some interesting coaches though. Uh, Ron Cordini is one that I probably admire in the one I was talking about before. I mean, he coached for a long, long, long time. And I, when he was our D coordinator, I think he was 75 years old. So, um, but he was somebody that gave me a lot of ownership as a player when he was the coach. And then, and then the next year I worked alongside him, um, and seeing that experience and, and those things, um, my linebackers coach my junior year was a guy named Bob Crable, and he was uh, um, Notre Dame's all-time leading tackler. So he had like 500-something tackles. Um, you can't jump off somebody's back to block a field goal because of him, something he did in the 70s against Michigan. Uh, blocked a, Trendsetter. <laughs> blocked a field goal <laughs> okay. with his kneecap, I think. Um, but, yeah, um, and then he played for seven years with the Jets. Um, so – and. He was the head coach at Moeller before he came to us. And um, so like linebacker wise and coaching individual wise, I got a lot from him as well. Um, just his toughness and tenacity. I mean, he's a super tough dude. Um, so playing playing for him um, definitely helped too. But it's kind of a weird combination like we talked about before. You know, I'm probably kind of a weird mix of all that. But in terms of admiration, um, you know, it's probably Coach Marksberry. So Lessons. Let's talk about lessons real quick. From the time you get hired on, what's the biggest lesson? Sorry, hiring day, point A. Today's point Z. It's the biggest lesson that you've learned going forward. Maybe a coach right now is listening to this, an assistant who wants to be the head coach. Yeah. Uh, consistency. Yeah. And that's overarching of a lot of different things. Because um, to me, that means something different depending what your role is. So to me, as a head coach in that lesson and learning about consistency is if I'm not saying and doing the same message all the time, then, I mean, it's built on pillars of sand, right? Like there's the foundation isn't there. And kids, not that kids always haven't been smart, but kids nowadays are super sharp. They'll see through something instantly. So if I'm saying something and I'm walking in a different direction, things are going to last about a minute. So being consistent with that is huge. And I mean, this world gets crazier by the minute. So having a leader that has that consistency, and it doesn't mean you don't change. Like it doesn't mean that your philosophy doesn't change and you're not willing to learn, but just that your approach is consistent, right? And that you understand that that daily consistent support and effort and guidance is there, right? Um, and if you're an assistant coach, to me, kind of what I mentioned earlier and chasing responsibilities, not titles to me being consistent as an assistant coach is consistently being there. Right. When I turn because I need something, boom, that coach is there being consistent of like, I'm here to add value and solve problems. Right. And that's what every member of a team should be. Now as a head coach, I should add the most value 
and solve the most problems. I'm stealing that right. as well. What is that again? Repeat <laughs> I stole that. it from other people what too. That? It's fine. I think James Franklin. Add value in what? Solve problems. Write that down on the board. I have it in an email form. I can I send need you it. a whole assistant coach. Do you not? Do you have like this? Like, <laughs> do you, do you have like a the newsletter you send out to the high school coaches, like the basketball coaches do? I need to be on this list. Hey, it's. Uh, I'm ready to play. The, <laughs> but adding value, solve problems, and and that's our. So we've done a lot of Zoom visits over the summer because we couldn't have guys on campus. So I always talk about wanting men of action, right? I want guys that take it by the horns. I, I don't want to react. If I find myself reacting, I am in a whole world of hurt, right? Responding, reacting are totally different, right? So if you find your, yourself completely just reacting to things, I mean, things are going to go awry. So adding value, solving problems. I want men of action. They're going to come here, add value, solve problems. Now that's going to look different, right? The eighth string linebacker this year, his adding value and his solving problems are different. So his adding value is on scout team bringing that effort, is in the classroom doing everything he can, not missing the weight room, you know, building his foundation for his career, as well as solving problems. Hey, I need a guy on scout team. Hey, I need a guy to clean up the locker room. Hey, I need, you know, everybody has that role to add value, solve problems. Add value, solve problems isn't the same for everybody. Just how our you know, Troy Speakman, our senior four-year starter, four-year first-team all-conference at multiple positions. His adding value in solving problems on the defense and as a special teams guy should be more than anyone, yeah. right, that should go. But being that consistent attitude of, hey, I'm here. How can I find ways, you know, and not even just waiting to. I mean, that's too, that being consistent, being ready is like, okay, if Coach Hop's not telling me how to add value, how can I add value, right? Taking that initiative and doing that. Um, but to me, that's, that just stems from that chasing responsibilities, not titles, because even as a player, and I just go back to my own experience. So I played, I was, you know, all district or whatever in high school as a linebacker, right at Mount St. Joe, our D coordinator didn't know my name. And I played scout team D line, even played it in a JV game. We needed somebody and I just did it right. And I ended up being better friends with the offensive line guys than the linebacker guys because of my experience with scout team. Like, cause I gave them a good look and got after it and all that kind of stuff. And, but that was a way for me and not that I necessarily did it on purpose. That's just kind of was my attitude and how I was raised. It's like, okay, if I'm coming out here to practice every day, I'm not just sitting on the side. Yeah. We need a D lineman. I know they don't know my name. I know I'm never going to play. I'm just going to go in and, and work and grind and solve these problems. And then as a coach, it was kind of the same way. It's like, all right, if all these other coaches are going to complain about doing the laundry or doing huddle or all this stuff, great. I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it better than the guy before me. Facts. And I'm going to keep going. I'm the best laundry so, doer here, boy. Yeah, I love exactly. It. Whoa, when, so when whoa, I was, whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> okay. I'm pretty Jeremy good. does a really good job as well. He does. But I uh, – I've done laundry since the start of my career. Right. That doesn't bother me. It's almost therapeutic, right? <laughs> well, in you, a way, in a way. Basketball laundry is probably different yeah, than football true. laundry. Yeah, that, that's it, it is a different animal. Stuff. That's true. And the volume is much different. I even do the laundry <laughs> at my house. I don't even let my wife do the laundry. See? There <laughs> yeah, you go. You know. Solve problems. Adding, adding value. Add value, problems. solve problems. Yes. Coach. The, right. uh, oh, but go. yeah, so that, uh, you're good. So I, you got me on my rant now. No, so, good. I want this. <laughs> you, you flipped the switch. So that's, I mean, that's the big thing that we try, that I try to preach. Right. And so I was a part of a program of the AFCA a couple years ago, uh, 35 under 35 program. And James Franklin came and talked to that. I wanted um, to talk about And it was this. really cool. Yeah. 
but he was the one like that. I mean, he's like, if a head coach could do it on his own, he would, right? <laughs> like, if, if it was possible, you wouldn't add these other people, right? <laughs> like, you don't do it just to have other people around. You do it to eliminate risk, right? You add assistant coaches to eliminate risk. So, so you hire Jeremy to take care of things that he's good at, right? Or things to, that way you don't have to, because there's so many moving parts. So he has a tight end coach. That way he doesn't have to worry about the tight ends. He has a a coordinator. So he has somebody to go to about the offensive plays, right? Like you, these people are part of your program to do that, to add value and solve problems. So if they're not, if they're there just to be there, then you're not a coach, You've lied to yourself, <laughs> right? Or you're lying to yourself about what you want to do. Um, because to me, natural coaches, if you want to be a coach, and really at any level, you have to understand this at its core. I mean, you have to be able to just chase those responsibilities because in order for a game to tip off and go to that final buzzer, there's just a million little things that add up to making sure that that goes well. So you have to be able to accomplish those things. So if you're only worried about being a coach or the head coach, it's not going to work out because you're not going to be ready. With the times that we're in right now, especially with the kids not being able to do camps and stuff this summer, maybe even get out to, you said you do one-on-one visits now, right? Yeah. <clears throat> Instead of the group visits. Right. So the incoming senior young men who have aspirations to play, college football, whether it's the Mount or UK, whatever. With the climate that we're in and the uncertainty, since you're such a, you're dropping all this motivation. (laughs) What's your message to them? And I don't want you to give away your recruiting pitch, but. um, No, I don't think it's anything unique. And and that's what we always try to, to boil down to, to at the Mount and really just who I am. It's about hard work. Right now, the harder you work, the luckier you get. Right, and and the success is there. But I guarantee the less if you don't work hard, you're not going to be as successful, and you might not be as lucky. Will you still strike gold every once in a while? Yeah, maybe. Lightning in a bottle, though, that, right? Yeah. yeah, and that's what people try to accomplish. Right, that's kind of that fool's gold. It's like, oh, I figured it out. I can do this little and still accomplish yeah. this. Right, but it's not like that. And, and and really, it is very simple. So especially in complex times, to me, you almost have to go back to that core, right? So when we talk about being men of action and and taking basically the fight to the issue, I mean, right now, that's what we encourage our guys. You know, we always talk about these opportunities to be men of action. Now, in this, in this pandemic, there's a million ways to do that, right, of all kinds of fashion, whether it's about football or you're in your community or with your family or all those kinds of things. There's a lot of ways, unique ways to apply what we've been trying to do as football players and coaches and to apply it, right? We always say that sports build character and, and basketball and football are just like life and all this kind of stuff, and they are. Well, now it's time to actually put it to action. I don't know that we all knew that – something like this was going to come, you know, um, or last this long, right? (laughs) Well, exactly. So now, yeah, exactly. I mean, the one's the first wave and it's easy to kind of respond to that, but now that it has that longevity. So as seniors, it's like taking those lessons you've learned and, you know, for the younger you are, the less that you've maybe been exposed to. Um, but now I get to see as a coach, this has provided me the opportunity to see who is thriving in this chaos. So now when I talk to, when we have visits and I hear parents and I hear kids and if they're complaining, whining, 
woe is me, all this stuff. And not that I need somebody to be like, we're playing no matter what, but it's like these guys that are like, Hey, this is a situation. I'm still working. I'm still grinding. Yeah. If we play yeah. in August, I'm going to be ready. So it does allow me to see those guys. It also allows me to see the guys that have gotten fat that haven't done anything that are complaining that are like, well, this is this, and this is this person's fault. And this is this person's fault. Oh. Okay. Well then when we suck here, freshman year, you're going to say the same thing about sure. me. Exactly. <laughs> you're right. So it's like, this does give you that opportunity. Now there, there are, you know, a lot of things that we do miss, you know, and especially if we don't play this fall, you know, in high school guys don't play this fall or it's limited, you know, the, there's going to be those guys who, who usually pop out that senior year, especially for us, you know, the lower level, it's typically that senior season. Like there's junior guys we like, but you know, there's some guys that have been waiting their turn or maybe a decent starter junior year is now an all conference guy senior year. Those guys might not get that opportunity, but we kind of have to shift our focus because I could hone on that. Well, we're not going to be able to see this or that. Great. Are you relying on but film now, a yeah. lot? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But now, too, it's those conversations. So now when we have people on campus, it's like, I want to see what they're talking about. Now, going about that, too, this is why we give individual tours anyway. We don't really do group visits outside of game days. Um, and we give our own tours. So our coaching staff is trained by admissions to give our own tours. So we give every tour. So typically it's a recruiting coach. And then sometimes it'll be um, like if I specifically don't have a kid from my area, I'll take a group and, and that kind of thing. But we give our own tours. And a lot of it is to spend time with them both ways. One, if you're going to pay tuition to send your son here for four years, you know, I don't want you spending an hour and a half with an admissions counselor yeah. or a student tour guide and then coming and hearing my pitch in a half hour and get in the car and leave. It's like the least I can do is show you around. Yeah. And especially as an alumni, like I can talk about my experiences and I can talk about, you know, each thing is like, Hey, I'm going to remind you a thousand times when you're here about the learning center. And Hey, this is where the weight room is. And this is my idea about the weight room. And as we go around, like they see that. And then it's not like I have to sit and put up a PowerPoint and, you know, go through all my points. It's like, they've seen it in action and they see my passion about the school and because we're trained by admissions and then we do a football tour and I give a tour to the coaches, they hear my message. Now I don't want them saying the exact same thing, right? They all kind of have their own side stories or get their own um, pitch. And, and sometimes too, if the numbers are small, there's things I like to talk about and things that other coaches like to talk about and we'll kind of rotate that. So they get to see us and experience that. But it's also both ways. So now, you know, when we get a kid on campus and a dad's like, well, is number 20 available next year? I'm like, all right, I'm done. You know what I mean? Like, you better be really good if you're talking about numbers before we talk about grades or anything about the campus at all. Or, and you'd be, I mean, I'm sure I have a million stories about that kind of stuff. But the same with kids too. And I want to see, you know, does he roll his eyes when I talk about study tables? Does he roll his eyes when I talk about the learning center and the career center and co-op opportunities and things that I know he's not thinking about yet? But how's he responding to that? Or, okay, once he leaves on the tour, how is that? You know, I always talk about recruiting as fishing. Um, and I think it's the same as hiring, right? Any kind of recruiting, not just specific to football. But it's like fishing. Typically, you're going to get the type of fish by the type of bait you use, the type of equipment you use, the area that you're fishing into, right? Mm -hmm. The certain areas of a pond that you know you're going to get a certain type of fish with a certain type of bait. Now, could something random, good or bad, get on that hook? Sure. But for the most part, like if you're purposefully fishing for bass, you're going to catch mostly bass. So with us, it's like, this is our message. This is what we're doing. This is what we're sending out. I shouldn't have to tailor that based on what I think you want to hear. Okay. Because if I'm doing that, now we're bending. Because now once you're a part of my program and I bended to get you in the door, because I know you wanted to hear more about our Under Armour uniform and our new video scoreboard, and you wanted to hear about all this stuff. 
But then when you get here and I'm just talking about hard work every day, you're gonna be like, this place sucks. (laughs) I thought I was just going to be getting photos taken of me and being cool recruiting videos. And it's like, no, that's not what it's about. And that's not what it takes. That's not what we want to be about. So if they don't like our message, great, go next door and you'll have a great career somewhere, right? Like you, you're, you're going to go, um, even to an opponent. Great. We'll see you on, on but don't you 19th. think part of that is becoming more and more important, the social media aspect of this? We had oh. on the North Carolina <laughs> men's basketball graphic designer last week. Right. And the majority of what he does is come up with recruiting graphics. Yes. And it's impressive stuff. And I've been through your all's Twitter and your Facebook and that. That's good. Like you have really good stuff. And it's important that the kids feel the love. Yeah. Oh, right? for sure. It's, it's important that... They feel that, uh, look, and I, I, full disclosure, I am awful when it comes to that. I I would love to have somebody, I don't care if it was a, a student who wanted to do something like that as a career, came and said, listen, I would love to um, put something like that together, right? You know, I would, I have all the Adobe software so they could use right. my, my stuff. You know, if you want to take the time to do it, man, I would love that. And like for me, there's just so much going on. You know, I'm not a teacher, so I get up at five to go to work. And, you know, by the time I get off work, I'm coming straight to here in the shower, ready for making coffee, ready for practice. Right. And once practice is over, I'm so mentally drained that like the social media part of it is, you know, I would love for our kids to have that. I really would because they know that they're loved and they know that they're valued here. That That's not an option. That's not even on the table. Yeah. Um, but you, like you have a daughter, right? Mm -hmm. You, you want to go the extra mile to make sure that everything is exactly where it should be. So she knows that she's loved, important, felt important and, um, whatever else, right? Your wife, same thing, right? You know, it's like, you know, birthdays and mother's days. There's always that, uh, there's that fine line of between, um, divorce and um <laughs> you've gone too far you know you want to stay in that middle line that way it's like you know the next birthday and whatever you're like okay i'm doing good right you know good job good job tyler you know love you <laughs> you know where it, but it, it is it is becoming that and i'm I, I admit that i am not of that generation of man that is very good at that right and i kind of have a love-hate relationship with social media i just feel that and I know it's ignorant because I'm now putting the um, the podcast stuff out there, <laughs> but that's just you know, that's not for me. That's you know, when 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 the Tyler Hopperton graphic goes out today, it is for everybody that's in your world, on Twitter, Facebook, playing for you, coaching for you, family members, for them to be able to listen to an hour and a half of you being you, listening to your story, and the people in your community at the Mount who don't know you as well as what, um, say, you know, your wife or your assistant coaches, because you are guarded, you know, you don't have time, you know, there's only so much time in a day there. You can't be everywhere doing everything. You can't spend two hours in a conversation with every person that you come across on campus or in the office, whatever. That is the thesis of the show for, you know, people to get to know you. Right. And, you know, I, I you know, I, I like that. Um, I, I just think that, you know, we're just in that time though, 
with the going back to that original thought, the the social media. I would love for someone to do that for our kids. Oh, it's. I would love it, and yeah. I am learning. Like through this thing, I've had to learn Photoshop. Yeah, and all that other. I mean, you have to keep up, even at a minimum, right? Because you, you have can't a student just that does that at all. Um, one of our assistant coaches self-taught himself to edit pictures. Okay. Now, our sports information director does some of them as well, uh, but obviously, with other sports, he kind of gets caught up, and so we had an assistant coach that does it. So he. Um, you know, we send him ideas. We have different things. Yeah. So he kind of runs that. I kind of run our social media page just to kind of control the message. Um, yeah, but you're 30 years old. That, well, you're of the social media age. <laughs> yes. Uh, on our staff, I'm one of the older guys, though. Um, so <laughs> compared to some of their knowledge about that kind of stuff is probably a little different even then. And that's sad to say. Um, but yeah, and especially in terms of recruiting, it's hard. And, and But keeping up with that stuff, because it, it can come across as flashy, it doesn't mean you have to sacrifice your message, though. So I feel like we do a good job of keeping up with the trends that way and that we are current and that we are, you know, sending recruits things and, and that kind of stuff. But I also want to make sure that that's not what they're committing to, right? Sure. Like, hey, this program sent me the coolest pictures once a week. But isn't that what everybody's doing? Yeah, it is. But you I see just these mean kids on their visits? you want them to also bite into the meat and potatoes, too. I understand just that. that. Because I've seen kids do that. Like, oh, I got a cooler photo shoot at this school, so I'd like this school better. Like, okay, well, they don't have your major, so you might want to ask about that. <laughs> I mean, it's crazy what sometimes it does. So that's why it's like you try to be balanced in that way. So when we control our message and we talk about those things, it's not that we try to, you know, get rid of all the sexy things of recruiting, but it's like, you know, long-term and culture-wise, you know, if we're sacrificing this on the front end, it's not going to work out on the back end. You know, you, you have to vet these guys. A lot of retention is in recruiting. It's not once they're there, yeah. right? A lot of it is making sure that they're buying into what's actually happening because then that part is there. Then they're like, oh, this is what I committed to and we are doing it. Not like, oh, I bought into this stuff and now this is different. And then, you know, that's a, a big reason why people leave too because they're recruited just to get into the door. All right, wrapping up here. What? When did you get hired? What, um, what year was that? Was that 17? Yes. Off March, season? Yes. March of 17? Yeah. When I, uh, so in one, I was engaged. Yeah, I was going to say, you got a new car. You got engaged. Just started grad school. Yeah. <laughs> At Xavier, right? Yeah. What a, what a time <laughs> to be alive, man. So it was interesting. Although doing my master's in education, it was, um, they have a coaching education program at Xavier and it was awesome. But honestly, it worked out. I mean, it was a little stressful at first because it's like, all right, I'm doing, you know, literally the morning of our first game i had turned in an assignment yeah. you know so it was definitely stressful but i was learning like i was doubling down on experience so not only was i living through my first year of being a head coach but i was literally reading about it and writing about it every day and you know in that program it was everything you know from risk management to leadership stuff to weightlifting and everything so um so it was really cool to do that simultaneously you know as i was becoming the head coach and learning all that stuff at the same time, but it definitely was um, a little stressful. <laughs> I would say it's almost like warp speed. You know what I mean? I, I it don't was know a how the hell you did it, bro. It was a blur for sure. And um, then when'd you get married? 18, 19? 18, March. Uh, so the three years, what years would this, will this be? Fourth this, year? This will be four. This will be four. So big job, engaged. Let's see. Uh, masters married baby yep yeah so in 18 and covid <laughs> so exactly Jesus. so in 18 it was like yeah i mean we haven't had normal i haven't had normal 
yet. You know, it hasn't just been like, hey, life is pretty manageable and I'm running a football program. Mm -hmm. but, that, but I'm better that way. I mean, that's, as I mentioned before, I like to be thrown in the deep end and I'll float to the top. Is your I'll, wife, a, is she, is she a great coach's wife? Yes. Absolutely. A good life partner. And so we were, we were dating a long time, <laughs> six years, I think mm -hmm. before we got married, probably almost seven by the time we actually got married. And um, so I was already coaching. We met my first year coaching. So she never knew different. <laughs> and that's usually where people get into trouble. If you're not a coach and you're in a relationship and you start coaching, that usually doesn't work out. So it worked that she already saw the lifestyle. And especially for me not being full-time, that grinding to try to get full-time and seeing that support. And then, you know, it obviously helped when I became full-time. Um, but she's always been so supportive. And um, so she is, uh, she studies counseling. Um, she works at Xavier. She's a advisor, a success coach at Xavier. Um, so she works with students and that's her passion. So in a, in a different way, but a same way, you know, we both really care about students and building into students and helping students. So she understands that, um, that perspective of it and knows, I mean, if I, if I was just kind of that meathead coach that only cared about winning and being tough and you know, running between the tackles and whatever, I doubt she'd buy into that much. But when she hears that, it's like most of my stuff is non-football stuff. Um, I mean, that's essentially what she does. So that helps is um, that she can buy into that message as well. Um, Emery was born six days after we, um, five days after we got back from our New York City game trip this year in November. Um, so she was born a couple weeks early, right after the football season. So I didn't get one weekend <laughs> in between playing and parenthood, 15 yeah. hour trip home yeah. after a tough loss in New York. Um, and so we kind of just got right into that and which obviously, you know, she went back to work for a couple weeks before COVID happened yeah. and, but that's been cool, man. I but mean, I'll, to be I'll, home, that's what I was going to say. Oh, it's been because the life of a head coach, what, a, you know, we, and I hate to keep bringing it up, but you know, Trevor Stillman is a really good friend of mine. A very similar situation as you. Yep. Gets a head coaching job. And then these boys are born, these twin boys. Yeah. And <laughs> his wife is in the hospital. And this cat's out on a recruiting <laughs> trip visit thing. And but she is, you know, they were together for a while as well. And she knew the coach Trevor. Right. And she knew the player Trevor as well, right? Yeah. Um, but it's the same thing for your wife. You know, you, you yeah, get that. It's, but it's the, definitely but, interesting. But the quarantine, yeah. right, has been, well, like we were talking about where I was going with that, is we talked to him about having that time with the boys. Now you have this time with your daughter, which you'll probably never have again. No. Un, un, not on me a dick about it, but it's just. No, I mean, assuming things get to become normal-ish eventually, um, just work-wise, and yeah. then eventually she'll be old enough that she doesn't want to hang out even if she, exactly. if she, if she has the ability. That's a fact. That's how it works, I think. Um, so it's been great, especially, you know, being first-time parents, and um, it's been really cool to just be together. And, I mean, there's obviously been stressful times of both working from home and being on countless Zoom calls and different things, but. Yeah, it's but eight months is a great age, man. And, that, oh, yeah. I mean, what she, a great age. Yeah. I mean, she changes every day, so it's yeah. been really cool. And that'll be hard this year, too, you know, going from literally almost every moment of every day to being gone. You know, I probably really won't see her much during the season just from her sleeping hours and my work hours that don't overlap very well. So um, 
So that'll be tough, but that's why it's been, you know, I think a lot of coaches have been able to slow down and really kind of reflect on that. And for us, it didn't really change a ton. You know, I mean, we're obviously weren't able to do the camp circuit and things like that, but you know, we're still making phone calls. We're still evaluating kids. We're still texting and calling recruits. We're still, I mean, there's a lot of our stuff that can be done at home. Um, and it's forced us to find new ways. So, I mean, it's, um, in the chaos, we've kind of found that. And um, any changes for the, like for the better, for the future. Yeah. So this year too, obviously a lot of things are going to be hybrid. You know, if, um, if we're fortunate enough to play, you know, even if we can practice, they're probably going to make us meet on zoom and stuff yeah. like that. So it's, um, you know, I didn't know what zoom, I mean, I know I'm 30, but like, I didn't know what most of these things I'm using now was before all this mm. happened. I didn't either. So now we're just kind of forced into it. So but especially at the D3 level, you have to be flexible. I mean, it, it's about academics. You know, they get to play football, but it's about academics. And it's not like their whole course plan is scheduled around when football practice is. It's the exact opposite. So we have found ways to be creative and to teach them football and to even have different um, development, player development stuff outside of like, hey, we all got to get together and do this. So, I mean, I think going forward, even when things get normal again, that you know, we're going to be much more adaptive and much more creative about how, um, you know, how we can teach our kids and, and develop our, our guys. So what's next? What's next for coach Tyler Hopperton and the fighting lions of the Mount St. Joe? What's next for you guys? Got to string it together. You know, we've had some good, um, some good seasons, a lot of talent, um, won a decent amount of games. You know, we're fortunate enough to be co-champions two years ago and that was a lot of fun. Um, but it can only be so much fun being co-champions though. So I think everybody wants to put, you know, we, we feel like there's a lot of good things, but it just hasn't all stringed together one year, you know, and you could point your finger to a million reasons why. Um, and, you know, I always point the finger back to myself. So next is just, you know, bringing that together of getting it to that next level. Um, Cause success only lasts as long as it's up on the scoreboard, sure. right? When it's gone, it's on to the next one. And even if you won a championship, okay, I mean, if you retire, then great, good for you. But other than that, like, there's another one around the horn. So trying to, to string that together and, and just be more consistent as a program. Um, but a lot of that's recruiting. You know, we have visits today, so it's like getting these kids to buy into that same vision. You know, I, I want to win. Um, I mean, we all want to win as many championships and stuff as possible. But it's kind of beyond that, too, you know, and getting guys to buy into what we're trying to do Um as a whole. What do you do during the winter? I think you should come and be an assistant here. <laughs> Give you a couple grand. I don't know if I have it in me. I don't think I could what? put on a Scott t-shirt. See, can I wear, like, you had to go back to the, uh, I tell you, you were doing really well. It's ingrained. In you me. were I can't, doing so it's well. Weird. It's the same with a lot of I, schools. When I recruit kids, even from certain schools, I still have that like high school feel in me. Like, Oh, this is a Dixie kid. You were doing so good. <laughs> Um, you were, you were going to, I wanted you to be my life coach. I could do that. And be an assistant and just stand back and be like, I'll just, be in the row behind you. Yeah. Well, that's fine too. But, uh, you have to come back on at some point, man. Let's do it. This, I'll talk, I'll talk about whatever. Actually one, one last story. Uh oh. So one of my favorite basketball stories actually uh -oh. happened here at Scott. So Copy my senior that. year, um, oh, so after football seven. season, yeah. So it'd have been seven, eight, seven into eight. So after football season, I text coach Steiner. Was that the first game of the year? It might have been early December. Yeah. They won on the buzzer. Simon Kenton won on the buzzer. No, that was 06, 07. Okay. Okay. And I was up in the stands Continue. yelling at Sorry. people. <laughs> uh, 
I just remember that Eric Hopkins. Yeah, yeah that's it. Went, yeah, it's the only shot he made like the entire that. game. And <laughs> maybe the season. Yeah, we got super drunk that night, <laughs> cussing Eric Hopkins. <laughs> I'm sure he did. We too. were devastated. I bet he did. Uh, but I was on the sideline. And so after <sighs> football, I text Coach Steiner, like, hey, I think I want to give basketball a shot. And this was after they were pretty good. So it was kind of a rebound year anyway. And he was kind of looking for some leadership in some interesting ways. So I remember going to tryouts. So he had me go to tryout. And I actually missed the first day because a train blocked me into my road. And uh, that's, where, that's where, hey, you live on a farm, buddy. It's it's different, even though. That's the most South so Kenton he, County he, thing so, ever, right? <laughs> so uh, Coach Steiner lives over by me. So he drove and saw the train stopped and was like, hey, are you behind there? I'm like, yes. You know, it was a pre-school workout. So I remember going to work or to tryouts, and I don't think I made one shot. So they were already practicing. So, like, he just took me aside and worked me out himself. And I don't think I made one shot. Now, transitioning from football to basketball is hard, right? I played AU in the offseason. It was just different. But anyway, so I didn't play much. I subbed in for our, our starting center who's, like, double my size, right? I would go in, get a couple fouls, come out. But at Scott uh, – I just kind of could tell I wasn't really getting it. It was just kind of one of those games. And I remember being here and a freshman was behind me and he was drinking Pepsi and eating Swedish fish. And I remember getting a couple of Swedish fish and getting the Pepsi and eating it. And mid Pepsi, Coach Snyder says, hop, get in the game. And Stop I'm like, it. mid like, oh, gave him the Pepsi back, went into the game. And he's just looking at me like, what are you doing? <laughs> that sounds Which, like a Jeff Marksberry special right oh, there, trust, boy. Well, yes. I mean, there's plenty of those, too. But, yeah, Coach Steiner and I, it's kind of funny, The uh, uh, oh. our personalities. And uh, that that was a lot of fun playing my senior year, and I have a lot of good memories with that, too. But another good example of just, you know, good people and um, they have a good impact on people and uh, a lot of fond memories of, of those guys, and it's cool to see them still kind of having that impact now. Yeah, you guys lost that game because you lost it by two. Because of your head coach and because you were eating Swedish fish and drinking Pepsi going yeah, that, to play a high endurance sport. Good job, coach. Yeah, thanks. Man, I tell you what, you have, um, I've been wholly impressed with sitting down with you today, bro. I mean, this, we've, we're on an hour and 48 minutes, right? <laughs> I can get I going. Could, I can say I could talk to you forever. I'm really glad that Adam called and said that I should sit down with you. I mean, yeah, 27-year-old getting the, you know, head coaching job at a college, there's got to be something there, right? And as I stalked your life, <laughs> um, trying to find pictures and info, I think I'm doing pretty good at that. Like, I, yeah, like I was I, surprised. I enjoy, I, I enjoy that. Because coming here this morning, I'm like, I haven't heard from this guy, so I yeah. don't really know what we're talking about. Well, some people... That doesn't really bother me, though. No. Like, I just wing. Some I mean, people want to know, like, what, what living, questions we're going to ask. And honestly, I've not given them to anybody, just because it's just a conversation. Right. And yeah, um, sure. it's like we're we're leaving here after yours, and we're going down to sit down with the Ludlow superintendent. Because I just figured in this climate uh, that we're in right now, Mike Borchers, that's Randy's brother. Yeah. And with the climate we're in, with the school, you know, people are wondering what the hell is happening with school. So, you know, I reached out through our AD to the Campbell County superintendent and he didn't have time to sit down. I wanted to do a round table. I wanted right. to get three of them together and just kind of discuss, you know, Hey, what are you guys doing in Campbell County? What are you doing in Kenton County? What are you doing at Ludlow? Now I've known Mikey almost my whole life. So that was an easy call. Right. right. But, um, and he's an impressive dude. I mean, this is an innovator. Yeah. Coach Thompson knows him. Really oh, I well. bet. So. And he was the head football coach. Then he was the principal and now he's superintendent. And the things that he's done in that district are incredible, man. And, 
to, I mean, they they do it really well. I mean, they do things the right way. Yeah, for right? sure. And which is, I appreciate about people. I think that's the South Newport, you know, eighties kid in me, right? <laughs> you know, just, you, you do, you do stuff the right way and it, and it, it benefits you. Um, I'm big on karma. You know, Mike oh, is, yeah. you know, I'm, you know, I'm sure to, I'm sure to get to a powerful seat, you know, no different than the president of your, um, school and, you know, superintendent in our build or our, of our school district, whatever, an owner of a business, you know, sometimes you got to be an asshole or you got to be a dick to get, you know, your ultimate goal accomplished. But if you're doing it the right way along the way, I think it all, you know, there's good karma there for sure. You know what I mean? So, well, coach, I really appreciate you sitting down with us, man. Um, thank your wife for, for, thank your wife for letting us borrow you for a couple (laughs) hours, man. And, uh, we're rooting for you. Yeah, uh, appreciate it. Big fan right now. And your wife is a, what you say, over. a life coach? Yeah, bas- uh, yeah, success coach. So basically okay. she's like a advisor. So she meets with students at Xavier. And What about 42-year-old men that are losing yeah. her hair? <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah, I mean, my mom and mother-in-law are hairdressers too. I could, I could suit you yeah, up and give you like a call. It, unless, they've got the, unless they've got that, that, that hairspray that they, or, you know, that like aerosols can that oh, they yeah. you see in the infomercial at three in the morning when you shouldn't be awake. Um but really enjoyed this. Yeah, I tell you what, I mean, it's, I, I texted, I was texting with Jeff Marksberry as we were going through our interview. This was, this was probably about 40 minutes ago. And I just said that, um, that I was interviewing you and how impressive you are. And he said that uh, he loved coaching you and you're one of his all time favorites. And, and as you can guess, he was an easy one to coach. So there you go. How about that? I did not tell him what you said. He's got to listen to this interview. Hey, <laughs> you you can ask. I don't I don't hold any punches. I don't think we hold any punches from each other anymore. So <laughs> yeah, you've done a really he, he's good. He's heard job, it man. all. I appreciate that. I, I appreciate I appreciate your you know determination with academics. I love that. You know, I like the way that you kind of I like the way you carry yourself and the way you handle business. And a lot of young coaches. That's I, I think that's something to learn from today. So, well, coach. Really appreciate you very much. Tyler Hopperton, head football coach at Mount St. Joe. Thanks a lot, coach. Thank you.